welcome to this third and last service of the day and uh, we hope that you've had a fantastic week and if there's anything that we can be praying for that we can be uh, backing you up in of course you can write to us or call us up we'd love to be behind you uh, let's close this long series that we've been doing in Philippines uh, and if you're here for the first time all the rest of the sermons the backup is on the on the app it's on the website you can always go back and listen to the whole thing are you ready you got your Bibles we're in the book of Philippians we're in chapter 4 towards the end of chapter 4 we're looking at 11 10 11 verses there and we're going to finish the series we're talking about nine different areas where we most lose our joy the very same nine areas where God injects gives infuses joy into our lives the very areas where we lose it is the areas God wants to uh, put joy into our lives and um, we've been looking at nine different areas today we're looking at the last one finances joy in your finances that's your money so if you found Ephesians uh, Philippians chapter 4 we're looking at verses 10 through to verse 20 let's read it together so we get a big picture I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity now uh, not that excuse me not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need and I can do all things through him who strengthens me yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs again once and then again not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit I have received full payment and more I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering a sacrifice sacrificial uh, a sacrifice that acceptable excuse me and pleasing to God and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever amen what an amazing passage of scripture beautiful passage of scripture and we've taken some of those verses and we have put it up in posters we've put it up on screensavers we have crocheted it we've painted it we've done all sorts of stuff especially verse 19 my God will oh we love that verse my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus oh we love that but what about verse 10 to verse 18 the whole backdrop of this verse do we know that do we know it well do we know the context of this verse let's dive in that's what we want to look at and we want to look at three marks of financial maturity three marks of financial maturity three ways to think maturely about our finances and when we have the biblical the godly the Christ-like perspective on our finances of course God will release joy into it you got to make that connection 
joy and finances. There is a connection. I mean, you open a birthday card, check, no check, big difference. <laughs> big difference. So you open a birthday card and it was, happy birthday, we love you. X, X, zero, X. There's no check. It doesn't matter how many X's or hugs or anything. Yeah? You go to the, <laughs> go to the market, you open your wallet, no money, no joy. Lot of money, lot of joy. It's there. There is a connection. And when things are going well financially, there's a general sense of elatedness. There's a general sense of joy. When things are going bad financially, people are calling you up. You know, the wrong people are calling you up, asking you to pay up uh, to send their executive. You know, I've never met that guy yet. He's the famous executive. He's coming to collect the check. There is a, there is a connection. Let's think about it. Let's study what is the biblical perspective on money having that in place would give me the joy that God releases into my life. Number one, concern for others. Concern for others. Look at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but now you had no opportunity. You were concerned for me. You actually thought about me. You thought, how is Paul doing? How is Paul getting on with his resources, with his finances, with his ministry. You're in one city, I'm in another city, and you're thinking about how I'm doing. You're concerned for me. There's a, there are different reasons that motivate us to give. We all give, but there are different reasons that motivate us to give. Number one, we give because we must. We must give, so we give. That's a sense of legalism. It comes from a sense of legalism. Another reason we give is because if I give, I will get. That's selfish. That comes from a sense of selfishness. A third reason is because you have. I have two, you have none. I'm feeling bad. So I give you. I give from a sense of abundance. I have more, you have less, so I give you some of what I have because I have. Number four, I give because I did. I gave last time. Now I have to give again. That's a sense of habit. Every time the thing comes up, I have to give again. Last time, the other one was You have to give again. Let me add one more. Okay, there are four. That, uh, let me add one more, which is, has an Indian twist to it. In India, we give with a sense of appearance. We give to that which looks pathetic and needy and where our 40 rupees is going to make a huge difference. If it's not going to make a huge difference, we're not really, intended, we're not really excited about giving. We want our little money to make a big difference. So the whole culture of those who receive money also have quickly learned that you need to look pathetic. Okay? So you are driving and you are approaching a red light. 
and there's a little child there and a little you know 10 11 year old boy or girl and they are running around and having fun and crossing the road and playing something with their with their uh, friend these are beggar children on the, on the, on, a, on yeah and they are happier happier than teenagers in a rich home and then you approach the red light and as you come to a stop they come to the car knock on the they can ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i turned to my wife oh you know and i'm like what happened just now they were fine they had the most beautiful smile sometimes all these kids are so good looking so beautiful and their eyes are they still have that sparkle in their and, and, and suddenly they come, as they come, did, is it because of me? Did they see my face? And, and it's all over the city. And if you look pathetic enough, if you can just think, it, it would move me. I, I think that's an insult. If you think that you need to be that pathetic for me to give you money, that's an insult. You're not engaging my heart of compassion you're not actually you know challenging my desire to to be a better person nothing you're just i'm just responding to appearance and you need to move we need to move from arms to investment from a, a sense of giving arms to giving investment and in our country with the poverty all around us yes we should give but when we talk about giving the act of giving when we talk about giving to ministry to the work of god we think in the same way so even pastors and evangelists and people who go around fundraising and doing the thing, they also got that sort of a, you know, morose, like they've swallowed something, you know, kind of, I don't know what, where that's coming from. And, and everyone has to dress badly, look like you just got beat up. Yeah, and then the church will give. The more pathetic you look, the more they will give. That's not a way to give. That is not a way to give. That is not, that should not be the motivation of our giving. What should be? Paul tells us that the Philippians had the correct motivation to give him and his ministry, and that is concern. You were concerned for me. Concerned for me. The word concern in its original comes from the word diaphragm. Yeah. It's that it's that breathing muscle, the muscle that enables you to take in, contract and exhale. It's that, it's or when you go, when you feel that sigh of burden, of pain, of concern for somebody. And then from your gut, you get a, a hint, a clue, a motivation to get involved, to respond, to give. That's where concern comes from. It's not concern for someone who's in impending doom or is very sick or very poor. Oh, we're so concerned about that they have no money, they have nothing. They're, they're, it's not that kind of, it's a kind of concern for something that is of greater value. Like, for instance, the politics of our country, the next elections should be a concern. We're not desperate about it, but we should be concerned about it. The gospel. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ that everybody in the world should know what Christ has offered to them in himself in and through a relationship. So I'm concerned for the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying was their motivation. They had a concern for what God was doing in my life. And through me, they were, had a concern for the state of the gospel. And therefore, they wanted to give. And he says, I applaud that. I applaud that. And you'll see more as we move on as, as to why he was so sure about that. The Philippines teach us to give because we are concerned. Number one, concern for others. Number two, contentment with things. Contentment with things. Paul borrowed a word here from a group known as the Stoics and they sought a philosophy of life which would bring them contentment. Number one, the elimination of all desire. Number two, the elimination of all emotion. And number three, the acceptance of everything that is and as fate. So to be content means to just not have anything. Bej dosab, OLX, just finish it. Send everything off and sit and blink. That's one way to get contentment, apparently. Or to not have any emotions, not have feelings, just walk, go through life numb. Or to think that you're poor, that's your fate. I'm rich, I'm poor, that's my fate. I'm not going to change your fate, you're not going to change it. It's all going to happen anyway. And that's the sense of the Stoics. But when you're thinking about money, and you're thinking of finances, and you're looking for the right balance, and you're asking God for his perspective on finances, this is what the Bible says. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. Gosh, that's going to make you depressed. For real life and real living, are not related to how rich we are. For real life and real living have no connection to how rich we are. You can live a full life with little. You can live a full life with much. And the opposite is true. So Paul says, I need to be content. Contentment brings joy. Not like you already knew that or didn't know that, sorry. Not that you already didn't know that. But Paul is saying something about contentment. Three things he says, I want you to know that. Number one, he says, verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. If you can underline your Bible, underline learned to be content. It is something that you learn. It is something that you learn. Paul says that in my life, through my experiences, I have learned something. I've learned a life skill of being content. And where do you think you learn that? And when do you think you learn that? It's in the heat of the moment, in that situation. When you have three but you want four, you learn to be content. When you have nothing but you want much, you learn to be content. It's not in the third year of a master's degree that you learn in a course contentment. It is in the heat of the moment, it's in the situation, in life's boat that you learn contentment. And Paul says it's something that is imbibed, it's something that is learned, it's something that you pick up because 
you know that life is not always plenty. Life is not always nothing. Life is not always hunger. Life is not always full stomach. You're going to have to swing between the two extremes and everything in between. And if you don't know contentment, you'll never be happy. You'll never know the joy of God because you don't know contentment. It must be learned. Number two, it does not depend upon circumstances. For I've learned how to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. That's one circumstance. I know what it has to have to have plenty. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. In any and every situation. Whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I've learned. And number three, he says, our contentment level is much lower than we think. Number three, what do you need to learn about contentment? It's actually much lower than you think. So you think, with eight, I'll be content. God thinks, actually, you will be content even with four. Because if you can't be content with four, you're not going to be content with eight. It has nothing to do with external circumstances, with facts and figures, with crunching numbers. It has to do with your heart's condition. Because those who want three will have three will want four. Those who have 40 will want 90. It'll never, unless there's a sense of contentment that settles saying, I have enough. I have enough. And also, there are times when I have enough and there are times when I don't. I shouldn't continue to think that I don't deserve this. Oh, how can this happen? How can God let this happen to me? How can God let this person treat me like this? Or this, or this thing happen to me at the office? This mustn't happen. Like bad things, poor things, difficult things shouldn't happen to you at all. That's not the norm, but this is the norm. If you're not content with the situation here, you're not going to be content with the situation there either. It's not about facts and figures. It's not about rupees and pesa. It's about the heart. It's about our character. So he says, our contentment level is much lower than we actually think it is. We left, allow our expenses and our needs to get ahead of us, to get beyond us. We can be content with plenty, we can be content with need. Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. But we have food and clothing, Paul says to Timothy, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Okay, so what does it depend on? What does it depend on? It depends on Christ. It depends on Christ. It is dependent upon Christ. What does? Contentment. Are you with me so far? It is dependent upon Christ. What does he say in that verse? 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 13. We love that verse. We've put it all over the place. But this is the context. He's saying when I am empty, when I'm running low, I can do it with Christ who strengthens me. When I have much, I can deal with much and not want more. Because I can do it. Because Christ who strengthens me. And everything in between, both are possible because Christ strengthens me. Christ gives me, enables me to live within my budget. He enables me and gives me joy and contentment no matter how my finances are going. 
Are you with me? That's what he's talking about. And he relates it to the way we see things around us. Contentment with things, with stuff. Number three, commitment to give. Commitment to give. People who have joy when it comes to money are always giving people. You, it, it, it's very obvious. You can easily tell people. When you talk to them, you get to know. When they're giving people, they are happy people. They are joyful people. The ones who hoard, the ones who are constantly, that's the opposite. It's, you can just tell from them. Paul talks in these verses about mature giving and mature receiving. What are we going to look at? Mature giving and mature receiving. Contentment to give. Mature giving and mature receiving. How does it look like? What does it look like? Let's look at it. Number one, mature giving. Then we look at mature receiving. Number one, look at verse 14, please. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again once and again mature giving is giving with awareness he says you knew he says, you knew what my situation was. You knew that, uh, that there was need and therefore you sent it. You sent out of concern. You sent out of awareness. When you don't know where to give, when you haven't studied, when you haven't planned to give, when you have not prayed about where to give, then the next tyranny, the next urgency, the next person who looks pathetic, the next person who's broke, the next person who, who is in a, in a problem or a problem situation, you're going to give there. Then your money and your giving is going to be at the mercy of impending circumstances of people all around you. And what's most pathetic or what is most urgent, we're going to give there. But when you know what God is doing around the world, what ministries are doing what, and who you have chosen prayerfully to partner with, then you give with the right maturity you give with the right heart according to awareness number two you give when no one else gives paul says to them even when all the other churches right in the beginning of our ministry didn't partner with me you philippians you partnered with me and i can feel his pain you know he was young the ministry was getting started he just gotten saved out of a very radical group and he was persecuting the church. Now he's a pastor or rather he's an evangelist and he's leading the church. Now he's completely changed colors and now he started his ministry. Most of the churches are like he's brash, he's egotistical, he's, he's looking for a stage for himself. Let's not get behind this guy. There's no board, no church wants to get behind that guy. We don't know where he's going. We don't know what he's all about. But he says, Philippians, from day one, Today as I sit in prison and I look back on my ministry, from day one, you got out on a limb. You put your neck on the line and you supported. That comes from maturity. That comes from maturity. When no one else was giving, you still chose to give. That's a mature mindset to give. And number three, number three, not only did you give once, but you gave again and again and again which means you became dependable you became dependable that the people you were supporting could stay dependent on you because they knew that you were committed we'd like to give a little bit here give a little bit there we don't want to give again because now let it be somebody else's now it's someone else's turn let me give something else no that is not smart giving 
you choose a ministry, choose a situation, choose a cause, choose saying partner with it and let those people depend on you. Month after month, year after, let them depend on you as long as you have promised to give that. And that's a mark of maturity. Number one, gives according to awareness. Number two, gives when no one else is giving. And number three, gives again and again. That's mature giving. That's mature giving. Getting. Receiving. Receiving. Look at verse 17. Oh, this is amazing, you know. This, I wish I could have Paul's maturity on this. He says, not that I seek the gift. I'm not looking for your money. I'm not looking for your cash. But I seek the fruit, think fruit, that increases, think growth, to your credit. How difficult this is, but what maturity it calls for. That I want you to give because every time you give, something is going to come your way. Something is going to grow for you. Something is going to be a blessing for you. And Paul is telling the Philippians that he's excited about what is coming their way. Do we think about the giver? Number one, do we think about the giver? Or do we think about the gift? Somebody gives you a gift. Yeah? What do you look at? Do you look at the gift or you look at the giver? It's mostly the gift, no? Look at the bow. Look at the price tag. But the giver, why the giver gave the gift? What is the value, the love behind the gift? Number one, Mature receiving focuses on the benefit for the giver. The benefit for the giver. Number two, mature giving, uh, mature receiving, excuse me, is satisfied with the gift. It's satisfied with the gift. When your focus is on the money, when your focus is on the gift rather than the giver, when you focus on the people who are giving the support rather than God who gives the support, and God who takes care, when your eyes are on the medium, when your eyes are on the means, then you will not trust God, you will begin to trust people. And when people let you down, you will not be able to serve people with an open heart because you hold them responsible for the bills not paid. You begin to develop a bitterness and a coldness toward the people who once God used to give. But now you hold them responsible as if it was coming from them. And that's what happens when you take your eyes off the one who supplies. That's why Paul slams jam towards the end and ends with saying, My God will take care of me and my God will supply you well and abundantly. And that's the reason why Paul was able to say, I'm not concerned about the gift. I'm not concerned about me and my needs. I'm fine. Why? Because I've learned the secret to be content no matter what situation I'm in. So now I can focus genuinely on you and ensure that you are being rewarded for your faithfulness. You are working towards your faithfulness. Paul could only do this because 
His heart, his eyes were on his provider. He saw the real value of the gift. The real value of the gift is what was coming to them. You see what I'm saying? They're giving you a gift. You're focusing on the gift. But you should be focusing on what's coming to them because they have given you the gift. And Paul was doing that. Paul was doing that. There's the maturity. There's the maturity. Whether it's giving or whether it's receiving, we've got to understand how God thinks. How God thinks. And when you choose to give, when you choose to receive, those must be done with God behind the whole process. See, God calls some people into ministry and God calls people to fund the ministry. All are called. Either you're called to ministry or you're called to fund the ministry. To think or to use language like, oh, he's gone into full-time ministry, he's, gone, he's working with the church and he's working with the world is very wrong, unbiblical thinking. You are all working for one God. And God would either have you according to your skills, according to what he has given you and the opportunities, either work for the church, which is to build up the body of Christ in a spiritual capacity, or to resource the body of Christ in a financial or physical capacity. So both are God's work. And when God wants to resource his, listen very carefully, don't miss this. When God wants to resource his work, he can very well get the state to pay. He can increase oil straight within the bottle for cooking. He can allow the funds to increase from within the bank itself. He can miraculously out of unexpected quarters provide for your needs. The needs of those who are serving him. But he chooses instead to have those funds rooted through you to his people who are working full time. Why? Because God wants you to experience the blessing of giving. He wants you to know what it feels like to have a loose hand on what goes through your bank account, your finances. And he wants you to feel what he feels when he gives. And he wants you to also stand along with the others who worked in full-time ministry and say, yeah, we were also there. We also partnered with the ministry. God wants to glorify you as much as he glorifies those who actually did the work in terms of building up the church. He wants to glorify you who stood with him in making it happen. Now, how many people go into full-time ministry versus how many people who resource the ministry? More. More. A lot more people have been called to look after the few people who have called, been called full-time. Are you with me? Why? Why does God want you to give? Because he wants you to get his heart. He wants you to get what it means like, what it feels like to resource something that is eternal. Boss, you don't have an idea of what we are talking about. You can give money towards a company and watch the finance grow, watch the business grow. You can give money towards education and watch education grow. You can give money towards the government and watch a government grow. But God has given you an opportunity to give cash, money, and watch an eternal kingdom grow. He's allowed you a secret to turn cash into eternal currency. Don't worry. Whether you give little or give much, I still get my salary. I get a salary. 
the board doesn't call me and say, you know what, your congregation gave 10 times this time, so we're going to give you 10 times the salary. Doesn't happen. So your money's not coming to me. So I can tell you confidently. And that's what I love about my church. I can tell you confidently. Paul is telling the Philippines confidently. I'm telling you confidently. God wants you to give because that's what his heart looks like. And God wants you to give systematically, intelligently, with a plan, with a strategy, with a sense of partnership, with a sense of concern, so that your clear understanding of your partnership with the gospel is with some ministry that you have chosen prayerfully and you say, we're going to get behind you. We're going to get behind you. Paul is talking to those who receive. To those who receive. We don't want an arms mentality. Look at Paul. He's the worst fundraiser. Look. Verse 18. He's the worst fundraiser. Paul says in verse 18, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you served. So he says, I am completely paid. I have everything. I am doing great. Now will you support my ministry? I'm like, dude, who's going to give you? You need to come alongside them. And you're gonna, like, you need to do this. Then they'll give. They only give to that. Paul says, no, I'm going to look like a million bucks. I'm going to look like my God has already supplied my needs. Otherwise, when I say God will supply your needs, how will they know that? How will they believe that? There are some needs he hasn't supplied. How is he going to supply my needs? And you're the one closer to him. You get it? You get it? People are not going to fall for that nonsense. They need to see how God has first taken care of your needs and then they will also want to be part of it. So the ones who are giving and the ones who are also receiving, Paul is saying, Paul is saying very clearly, you should look like a million bucks. You should look, you should, you should, you don't, don't be scared to tell people you're doing fine. Because the truth of the matter is if I'm your God, then you are doing fine. And if you're not doing fine, you need to learn contentment. Mm-hmm. And my dad also taught me this. And with several other men of God in, my, in ministry, for those of us who are in the forefront of ministry, and we are living off the bulk of the people who support and fund the ministry, we organize it differently. In DBF, I get paid a salary. My pastors and uh, staff, we get paid a proper salary. But it all comes from your Lord's portion, what you give sacrificially to God. But it's planned, it's strategized, it's budgeted, and we are given. But at the end of the day, the attitude should be, no, I am well supported. I am well paid. I am taken care of. And God has taken care of me and he will supply your needs also. According to the riches of his glorious grace in Christ Jesus. What a difference, huh? This whole perspective can bring when, uh, to finances and to resources. And that is what God wants us to have. He says three descriptions of a gift given by the right heart. It's a fragrant offering. Smells good. Number two, it's an acceptable sacrifice. And number three, it is pleasing to God. It is pleasing to God. Money is one of the most important areas where we either lose our joy or we allow God to give us joy. 
it is a realistic area in our life money sex power these are areas we hardly ever talk about but the fact is that it is a it is the main areas where we lose our joy it is also one of the main areas god wants to give us joy so we need to have god's perspective on our wealth on money on giving on receiving so that's why the bible says in hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 look at it keep your lives free from money yes yes keep your lives free from the love of money there's no problem with money and god has given you money and he's given you he's going to give you more he's going to bless you it's your love for it love to have more love for the security that it brings love for the status that it gives you love for the sense of calm that it gives you about tomorrow and about next year love for the sense of vision it gives you what you can accomplish with your life because you have it those are the things that god says keep your life free from it because if you don't keep it free you will become a bond of it that's the opposite keep your lives listen to this keep your lives free from money from the love of money and be content we already got that and with what you have why 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 we got to do this and we got to have this perspective because of something that god has said what has god said that should give us the correct perspective on our wealth on our resources on cash god has said who is god who is god proprietor of the whole universe he owns the cattle on a thousand hills he owns the stars he owns everything that everyone owns he owns he owns the ones who own everything he owns everything is written to his name that god are we getting perspective he says never will i leave you never will i forsake you pastor that doesn't make any sense because god didn't say anything in that that he'll give me he's not i don't see a check but he says i will be with you so the confidence in my financial security is not that god is going to give but that god is going to be with me and only for a person who's walking close to god walking humbly before god and enjoys the presence of god for whom this is good news only for that person will a correct perspective of finance mean something will a correct perspective of wealth mean something and god says i am with you you have nothing to fear your joy is not going to come from how much cash you have but it's going to come from the fact that i am with you god can i have you and cash then i'll be not just joyful i'll be like super joyful Lord I want both Ha
Hi, I'm Jeremy Dawson. And if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.